Hey there, ZDB here. That's Eric Deshaun Barrett for long. And if you're listening to this when it's released, then it is Wednesday, February 17, 2021. And it's time for our Ash Wednesday meditation. Good morning to you. Good morning. Good morning. Ah, that that got real. They got real clear this morning. Ah, this morning as we uh, get started on this Wednesday, it's Ash Wednesday, and uh, I figured we would begin with our, you know, moment of quiet as we do every Wednesday, and. Uh, as tradition, I have a few points on my mind to uh, kind of kick us off, if you will. And so I ask that as you're sitting quietly and, you know, praying over your cup of mud, as Booth likes to call it, that you think about, if you would, the different things that's going on as far as our climate is concerned. You know, there was a passage of the Bible that says there will come a time when you will know not the summers from winters. Mm -hmm. And many have argued about the struggle of climate change there's some who do not believe that climate change is real mm-hmm. and yet a whole state is frozen and cannot handle it now if there wasn't such thing as climate change why would a state not be prepared to handle certain weathers and temperatures But climate change, as they say, is real. That's not some liberal made-up idea. That's just a basic science class. The atmosphere is responding to the craziness we've done to it. And so now we have millions of people who are suffering out in Texas. Many without power due to the storm. Some of them without power because they had to shut their power off to protect the circuits from overloading and the whole state from catching on fire. That's what's happening just some thousand miles west of here. If you would, while you're thinking, pray for them. And then down, down south, 
down south somewhere near Charlotte. That's near where the capital of North Carolina is. There's a board of Republicans. The scripture says better. I don't know if it's scripture or not. It's definitely an old folklore. But it's in there in subtext, but not in the way that I'm going to say it. But it's better to be pitied more so than school. This Republican representative got up and had the mitigated guard open his mouth and tell his senator that your job is to do what we want and not what is right. And just 17 miles from where he said it, a tornado wiped out half of North Carolina. I'm not saying that's coincidence. Could be just random. But it's a little bit too random for me. Which brings me back to my current thought that it's better to be pitied. More so than scorned. And then there are those who are still, in light of this recent vote of acquittal, if you will, still seeking to cast judgment to silence all those who have voted their conscience, if you will, all claiming the same reality. I used to get on here and say that I don't believe in preaching politics, but at this point in time, you got to. Because we're living in a world where this is no longer about whether or not a stop sign should go on the right side of the street 14 centimeters from the corner. We now live in a world where the focal point is we pay attention to a man more so than our moral compass. It was once upon a time when the argument of the day was if you were a Christian, your ideals were more so aligned in a certain direction. That those who carried the blue were more sinful. They had less of a biblical guidance 
they would say. Your faith aligned more red, but you can see. Seeing those alliances have now either changed or the moral compass of faith has changed with it. Pray for them. And we still have those who wander the streets as we speak, still searching. We're freezing. On top of the fact that we were already in trouble due to a pandemic. On top of the fact that we were in trouble due to our lack of resources because of the pandemic. There are many in this world who are reaching their boiling point. Pray for them. And then, in our final act here, in our own communities, right here, for some of us, just about two miles up yonder when they're trying to manipulate how we vote they're trying to figure out how to alter our voice pray for them Many of those persons, some miles west, I should say, claim to have connection with this, our creator. They claim to be expressors of his gospel, and yet... The policies are become more and more clear to be self-serving. Would you send a prayer in that direction? And then finally, for yourself.
whatever those personal issues that you dare not say, and even if you did say, you you realize it would be met with certain excruciation, so you just choose not to say. And if you believe that your prayers have been heard, we respond collectively with a amen. 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 Sister Clarice. Good morning. Yes. Good morning. Good morning, friends. Morning. This this morning, morning. last night, and this good morning. Last night and this morning, I I was reminded that nobody is greater than our God. The Scripture says, "Who is like unto Thee, O Lord, among the gods, glorious in holiness." fearful in praises and doing wonders. Let's keep that in our hearts today. Let's pray. Mm. Heavenly Father, thank you for the wonder of this new day. Thank you for the wonder of the sunrise. Father, we thank you for the wonder of breath in our lungs. Father, we ask you today to help those people who are suffering without electricity and without heat in the cold. Father, we ask that you would help those suffering in North Carolina, the loss of their loved ones and the loss of their property because of the the tornadoes. Father, we ask that you would help them and we thank you, Father. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning's hymn, our lyrical meditation, is one of my favorites. It is Lead Me to Calvary. It is written by Jenny Hussey. A little bit about her is that for most of her life, Jenny Hussey lived in New Hampshire on a farm that had belonged to to her family and uh, she was a, a Quaker she was a Quaker and she lived on that farm uh, most of her life and she cared for a sister who was an invalid and during this time which was uh, very time consuming and took a lot of her, her strength she wrote many poems including 150 hymns, of which the best known is King of My Life, I Crown Thee Now. And it is the refrain from today's lyrical meditation. The refrain of Lead Me to Calvary comes from one of her poems, King of My Life, I Crown Thee Now. 
Okay, our lyrical meditation. King of my life, I crown thee now. Thine shall the glory be, lest I forget thy thorn-crowned brow. Lead me to Calvary. Show me the tomb where thou wast laid, tenderly mourned and wept. Angels in robes of light arrayed guarded thee whilst thou slept. Let me, like Mary, through the gloom come with a gift to thee. Show to me now the empty tomb. Lead me to Calvary. May I be willing, Lord, to bear daily my cross for thee, even thy cup of grief to share. Thou hast borne all for me. And the refrain, lest I forget Gethsemane, lest I forget thine agony, lest I forget thy love for me, lead me to Calvary. Brother Eric. Well, good morning again. Again, good morning. Good morning. Mm -hmm. All right. All right. This morning, if I can, return our minds back to our Sunday text, if you will, over in Genesis. You may remember where it was. It's not a quiz. I just don't. Hmm. But open that book of Genesis. Anybody want to help me where it is? Hmm. Was it chapter 19? Yeah. Was that where I was on Sunday? Yeah, right uh-huh. Well, when you figure it out, you can read it. The angel told Lot, get up, take thy family, and run. I want to focus on that because Wednesday we, excuse me, Sunday, we had a discussion about the Underground Railroad. One of the significant pieces in that discussion was the journey, the length of time it took to get from the south to Canada, or as they would deem it, their promised land. It was a sweet journey. Six weeks. That's a very, very significant time period. And one that I believe speaks clearly of where we are today. Six weeks. Some 
hundred miles through uncharted territories in and out of homes of folks that even though they had been familiarized with, they were still unfamiliar to. You're sleeping, putting your life and your health and your survival in the hands of folks that you do not know. It's amazing when you think about a group of people who in order to obtain their freedoms were required to do something that they traditionally don't do. You and I both know black folks don't really trust nobody. And they certainly are not going to sleep around folks they do not know. And yet, these persons were forced to do this in order to survive. Six weeks it took to travel from the proverbial Egypt to the promised land. Some 800 miles being faced with their proverbial Jordan River, a.k.a. the Ohio River. Now, I have explained what I believe in detail, that six-week journey to you, in this uh, just a few moments have laid that case. But there's something more significant and more personal that struck my attention as I was thinking through this journey. I came across a slave who had been discussing his journey, and even though the contents of this diary, if you will, is very argumentative, I say that in uh, the tense or the sense of it's very hard to truly know if these, if this perspective or these writings are actually authentic. Nobody really knows. It was written back in the eighteen mid eighteen hundreds, some earlier than that, these journals and things were written. But never to mind the authenticity, the mindset is still very resonating. This one slave who began on this journey, this six-week journey from his Egypt to his promised land, that 800-mile trip of uncertainty. He recalled a few things. He first took a moment to pray. His prayer was not out of religious customs. It was more an antiseptic, if you will. 
It was an antibiotic to his emotions, his prayer. This man who was getting ready to lead his whole family out of their proverbial Egypt into their promised land had to stop to have a moment of prayer. He was scared to death. There are many who argue that even though the Underground Railroad successfully delivered 100,000-some-odd people to freedom, doing so with children was very, very hard. It required strict obedience. It required babies not crying. It pushed women into limits that typically their bodies could not contend with. It put pressure on them. It beat developing children somewhat senseless. One historian argued escaping is just, quite frankly, a man's game. He's the only one that can brave the wilderness. He's the only one that can seemingly combat the uncertainty. But this particular slave decided that he was going to go, and if it was for him to do so, that he was going with his whole family. He was advised against it. Told that that was not the slightest idea for all of the reasons that I just mentioned. And yet he had this burning desire. So he went and he prayed. And he told the Lord very bluntly and specifically. There was no 14 scriptural introductions. He did not call him by our more sophisticated ecclesiastical names. He just got straight to the point. I'm scared to death. And I don't know what to do. It's amazing. One historian wrote how faith on certain levels meant something dependent upon certain situations. To some faith was in the mindset or in the form of a country club. It was just something you did because it was the socially acceptable thing to do. 
I know that personally from times that I've worked in companies where it was literally on the application. What church are you affiliated with? And depending upon the reformation by which you were connected was dependent upon how high up in that company you would arrive. Some of you may or may not have been connected with that fate. I have seen folks who joined churches simply because it was good for business. Faith, depending upon your circumstance, depending upon your situation, depends upon its perspective. And then there are those who found themselves deep in the darkness. They found themselves crippled by the idea of life. And their faith had a little bit more meaning. They knew they were just one breath away, one step away, one dollar away from destruction. Some of it was because of self-doing. Most of it was because of being a product of their environment. But their faith meant more because they did not have the highfalutedness of society. As a matter of fact, there were societal rejects. They did not have the resources to get them to those potentate status. All they could do was, like that slave, sit there one night and cry. It reminds me of that time with David, you remember, maybe, if you have studied it. If not, it may ring a bell as I mention it. That time David found himself deep in his own darkness and despair. He went into sackcloth and ashes, and he prayed. Prayer means something. Faith means something different, depending upon the situation. But this lady. I've moved quickly through my discussion with you this morning. Got up, not sure of the answer by which he had prayed. He went on his journey. He took his children, he took his family. Six bodies, four of them very, very feeble, three of them, as they would say, non-ambulatory. The babies couldn't walk but so far. 
the wife had to carry them. One son was struggling into his manhood. And they would set out on 10 to 20-mile journeys each and every day, struggling through the dead of night to avoid detection, then sleeping in the middle of the day. That slave would recall not one time did those babies cry. Wow. Not one time did those children get tired. Not one time did that wife fall under the load. Everything that they had said would go wrong did not happen. And they kept on their journey until they got to a sticky part. And they had this baby who was fresh into his what they call terrible twos. He had not spoken yet. He was still gaga-goo-gooing. And they got to a sticky point. And not before then had the baby spoke, had the children acted out of turn, had the women became fatigued. But they got to a sticky point. They said the baby said his first word. It was not mama. It was not daddy. It did not know its own name nor those of its siblings. But it was recorded that that baby found itself with his family in the situation, and the baby's first word was Jesus. And they looked at that baby as he repeated that word again, Jesus. His eyes in the air as if he had comfort and understood clearly in who he had called. And somehow the strength that had left, the fatigue that had taken over, the frustration that had built up and the hope that was lost was restored in a two-year-old saying his first word. Six weeks it took to get this family from Egypt to their promised land. They made it. settled in the Ontario area of Canada. And this young man, as his family settled into their life of freedom, 
They settled into their promised land. He asked, or was asked rather by someone to explain his journey. And he not really being a sophisticated man, he just knew a little something, something. He began to explain himself, and as he began to explain himself, this writer that he was speaking with, who wasn't necessarily a writer then, but was just jotting notes down, jotted them down. His journey had begun in the dead of February, just like we are in now. And he reached his promised land on Good Friday. Six weeks it took. Six weeks from that, his Ash Wednesday, where he fell to his knees and focused on one thing and one thing only. He prayed. He prayed. And because of his prayer, he was able to make a journey that many said he would never do. I wonder, in this our six weeks, as we begin what they call the Lent season. That too means many things to many people. But what if? What if this year the journey from this, our Egypt, was culminated in our personal promised land? What if this Easter we found ourselves more confident, more assurant? What if this Easter we found ourselves more stable in our mind, more faith boiling through our soul? What if this Easter, just like that slave, we would Fine, even though the journey may be rough and the going may be tough. What if this six-week journey was our own personal deliverance? What if we this day decided that our own personal slavery would come to an end. Amen. Sister Clarice. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, there is no one like you doing wonders for your people throughout the ages. 
God, I pray that you will show yourself strong on our behalf today as you have over the centuries for your people and that you will show yourself strong for all those that are here for the rest of this week. We need you, Father. We need your help. Please meet every need. Please quiet every fear. Please touch those who are sick, not well among us. Please encourage those who are discouraged. Please renew our strength because we know, Father, there's no God like you doing wonders for your people. We put our trust in you, O oh God. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a wonderful week, a blessed week this rest of the week, and a wonderful day. Knowing that. See you Sunday. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Oh, I'm sorry. You won't finish. No, go ahead. You have a good time. Go ahead. Say your turn. I'll finish it. I'm good. I was just, just reminding myself that there's no God like our God. Yeah. Amen. Amen. See you Sunday. See you Sunday. Okay.